Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. This week was notable for two movie events. The good news, of course, was the presentation of the BAFTAs, the smaller, slightly classier cousin of the American Academy Awards, which, like it or not, are coming up next month. Somehow the smaller scale means that the English awards can follow their heart a bit rather than the money, or these days the instructions of social media. And the BAFTA goes to... All quiet from the Western Front. The big winners were seven awards to Netflix's All Quiet on the Western Front, which I liked, and four to Elvis, which I was less keen on. The Banshees of Inner Sheeran also picked up four awards, including Best British Film, which Irish purists may quibble over. Thank you, BAFTA, for this uh, British uh, Film Award. I know every Irish person in the cast and crew were kind of going, best what award? But, uh, hang on, the wonderful Film 4 were a major part of the financing for this. Not many of my picks crossed the finishing line, apart from last week's guest on this show, Charlotte Wells, who scored a well-deserved outstanding debut for the quite brilliant After Sun. So will these results have an effect on the upcoming Oscars? Let's wait and see. But first, this week's bad news. You know, you're the first person I've ever shown this place to. Why am I so special? Because soon we'll be Christopher and Mary Robin. It's something so awful I can barely bring myself to say the title. Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey sounds the sort of thing a B-grade TV sketch show might have dreamed up. But no, somebody actually made it. They spent money on it. Not a lot of money on it, but still. And the reason they made it was the copyright of the original book had run out. You should be close now. We're not going to find them. We will. Pooh, Piglet, Eeyore... We were friends for many years, and they're out there. There was nothing to stop them, in other words, apart from, I don't know, taste or common decency. These are not qualities one associates with the movie racket, whose motto, as you know, is Excelsior, or anything for a buck. But curiously, good taste showed up at my neighbourhood cinemas. I really need to find out what's happening here, OK? Cinema One, who specialises in big, dumb and populist, wouldn't have a bar of blood and honey. And Cinema Two, usually the proud purveyor of genre pictures, sex and drugs and rock and roll, passed too. The fact is, just because you can put a childhood favourite through a meat grinder doesn't mean you should. We used to be friends. Why are you doing this, please? I would have never left that swear.
The trouble with the original Winnie the Pooh is that people not only remember it, they often loved it. A.A. Milne was one of the wittiest men in England at the time, and it showed. So Pooh, like so many other childhood favourites, are projects you take on with the utmost care. Even now I can't face looking at the Walt Disney version of Pooh in any shape or form. Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh, Cubby little Cubby all stuffed with fluff. He's Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh, willy-nilly silly old bear. But we live in the age of familiar brand names, or as we call them these days, intellectual property. So any familiar titles that today's audience hasn't actually seen a movie of is fair game. Now, generally, I don't care. Batman, Sherlock Holmes and Robin Hood are available to be rejigged, so long as they tread softly in case they tread on my dreams. Little puppet made of pie. Wait. I can move. Oh, look, Father. Well, it's about time. For me, Pinocchio, like Winnie the Pooh, is off-limits. Whatever else is in my personal top ten, the... 1940 Disney version of Carlo Collodi's fable will be in there somewhere. And last year saw two travesties of Pinocchio hit the circuit, including one award favourite. He's just a puppet! No, I'm not! I'm a real boy! People are sometimes afraid of things they don't know. No idea why Guillermo del Toro's ugly reimagining has cleaned up at all the awards. It's better than Disney's recent live-action version, but that's hardly saying anything. Everybody who's anybody wants to be a somebody! But I want to be real! Why on earth would you want to be real when you can be famous? Now, I'm sure the reason I took against both Pinocchios, there are more, even worse ones, incidentally, is because the original meant so much to me. It's not as if there aren't any amount of old films I don't give a hoot about that they can remake. Help yourself, I say. Just leave the few halfway decent ones alone, OK? Near, far, in a motor car, oh, what a happy time we'll spend. Bang, bang, chitty, chitty, bang, bang, our fine four-fender friend. Bang, bang, chitty, chitty, bang, bang. Well, this week sees three films that are unlikely to get remade any time soon. There's the latest Marvel Comics movie, which, despite its name, suffers from the common MCU failing these days. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, is too darn big. It's the secret universe beneath ours. What are you so afraid of? There's something I never told you. And What's Love Got To Do With It, written by socialite and journalist Jemima Khan, took so long to get made, juggling the demands of Muslim morality and Hollywood formulae, that it's unlikely anyone will ever put themselves through that again. You know why the Prophet said paradise lies at the mother's feet? There is no love greater than a mother's love for her child. Your happiness is all that matters. But first, a film that decided to lean into the common criticism of intelligent women's movies. They even called it Women Talking. Why does love, the absence of love, the end of love, the need for love, result in so much violence? 
Canadian writer-director Sarah Polly is a former actor, frustrated by a string of ordinary roles she found herself paying the rent with. In 2006, she turned to directing a brilliant little drama called Away From Her, starring Julie Christie. It took another six years to make another, the riveting memoir, Stories We Tell. We've had to wait ten years for women talking. It was all waiting to happen before it happened. You could look back and follow the breadcrumbs along the path that led to violence. When we looked back, it had been everywhere. Women Talking has all the hallmarks of a former play, though it comes directly from a novel. It mostly takes place in one set, the attic of a barn in an isolated religious community. It takes place around 2010, though it might as well be 1710 or even earlier. The women are kept in servitude. They have no education, they can't read or write, they have no say in their own lives. Please come out of your homes to be counted for the 2010 But life is far worse than that. They're regularly drugged and raped at night. Women, old women, even children by many of the men. They're told they've been visited by Satan until one day one of the men is caught. Where I come from, where your mother comes from, we didn't talk about our bodies. The culprit rats on the others who are arrested. But that's not the end of it for these women, some of whom are now pregnant. The elders tell the women they have to forgive the men. After all, forgiveness is a basic tenet of their faith. Anyone who can't forgive will be shut out of heaven. It is a part of our faith to forgive. We would be forced to leave the colonies if we do not forgive these men. None of you will listen to reason. At this moment, it becomes hard for me, or indeed anyone not part of such a restrictive faith. Why would anyone accept such commands? How does one find a way through such a clearly unfair system? And that's what Women Talking is about. Nine members of the women community of the colony have to decide what all of them will do. We were given two days to forgive the attackers before they returned. We hardly knew how to read or to write. But that day, we learned how to vote. Do nothing. Stay and fight. Leave. There are three options on the table. Do nothing at all, which is what got them into this state in the first place. Stay and fight, which goes against a lifetime of acquiescence. Or leave. Leave the colony and, in their faith, turn their back on any hope of salvation. If we do not forgive these men... We forfeit our place in heaven. Surely there must be something worth living for in this life, not only the next. The story Women Talking is based on is mostly true, we're told, backed up by centuries of similar ones, of course. But it's the performances that lift the arguments. The acting is exemplary, even if sometimes the casting surprises you. We know that we've not imagined these attacks. We know that we are bruised and infected and pregnant and some of us are dead. We cannot forgive because we are forced to.
Claire Foy, firmly locked into many people's minds as the young Queen Elizabeth in the Crown series, plays the angriest woman, Salome. She doesn't just want to fight, she's got murder on her mind. We know that we must protect our children. I will become a murderer if I stay. We are not all murderers. Not yet. Jessie Buckley, who you might expect to play the tough cookie of the group, is in fact the most beaten down. Any fight Marika may have had in her has been thrashed out by her violent husband. Who are you? Who are any of you to pretend I have had a choice? Even more anxious to stay quiet is the older Scarface Jans, Frances McDormand, who also produced the film for Brad Pitt's company Plan B. And the one wavering between all three options is Ona, played by a luminous Rooney Mara. Hope for the unknown is good. It is better than hatred of the familiar. We cannot endure any more violence. The only man in the film is Gentle August, the colony boy's schoolmaster. He's been charged with taking notes for the next literate generation. As played by Ben Wishaw, his position is compromised by his love of Ona. He doesn't want her to go. Men have taught the lesson of power to the boys, and they have been excellent students. But they are children, and they can be taught. And that's the film, wonderful women talking about difficult subjects as the temperature rises in the audience at the unfettered power of these men thinking they can get away with anything. Which, of course, they can, because in this case, and for thousands of years in the past, they wrote the rules. We have been preyed upon like animals. Maybe we should respond like animals. How would you feel if in your entire life it never mattered what you thought? Everyone's great, especially director and co-writer Sarah Polly. But may I put a word in for the one first-timer in this powerhouse cast? Her name's Kate Hallett, and not only does she play the youngest woman here, but her character, Orcha, is the film's narrator from start to finish. Our choice will be your future. I've said it before, but Marvel Comics movies are now officially too big. Aside from the size of the individual movies, amplified by the multiverse and now the quantum realm, there are simply too many things to keep up with. When producer Kevin Feige launched the so-called Marvel Cinematic Universe in 2008, he managed to put it off with just two films, Iron Man and The Hulk. I used to ask myself a lot of questions. Scott, you're an ex-con. How are you an Avenger? That doesn't make sense. But everywhere I go, people tell me the same thing. Thank you, Spider-Man. And the Hulk didn't even work. Fourteen years on, that one good title has expanded into, last year alone, ten brand new TV series on Disney+, and four ridiculously enormous films, all pushing in completely different directions. Who's going to keep up with all those superheroes and plots? You're an interesting man. 
Scott Lang. You're an Avenger. You have a daughter. The answer, of course, is Kevin Feige himself. He's been reading comics for 40-plus years now and remembers everything. But the rest just have to keep up the best we can. Which brings me to Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. Comic book heroes used to be a bit vanilla. Straight arrow, truth, justice and the American way sort of thing. The colourful characters were the exotic villains. Pick a trait and give them a costume. The Riddler, the Ice Guy, the Flamethrower. And in the case of Kang the Conqueror, Mastery of Time. And then send them on their way. Who are you? I'm the man who can give you the one thing you want. What's that? But Marvel heroes were a bit different. They had flaws and made mistakes. They were often the point of the story. Arrogant Iron Man, geeky Spider-Man, fish-out-of-water Captain America. There was even a chance characters might die. Not anymore, though. No one is so dead they can't come back. Like Janet Van Dyne, 30 years in the lethal quantum realm. People still need help, Dad. That's why we made this. It's like a satellite for deep space, but Quana. Wait, wait a minute. You're sending a signal down to the quantum realm. Turn it off. Now! Since Janet is played by the gorgeous Michelle Pfeiffer, you won't hear me complain if they find a way to get her back. Her main squeeze, Dr Hank Pym, Michael Douglas, is the magician of the group. Imagine Gandalf with some tame giant ants. The subatomic universe. This changes everything we know about life, evolution, our place in the galaxy. Holy That guy looks like broccoli. Hank and Janet's daughter Hope has inherited Mum's wasp outfit, and Hope's boyfriend, finally, is Scott the Ant-Man, played with his usual goofy charm by Paul Rudd. I don't care who this guy is. I just lost so much. He can give us a second chance. The Ant-Man's superpowers are not only turning very small, but also getting enormous. He's been letting his recent Avengers status go to his head. He's also in danger of being upstaged by his family, including his daughter, teenage eco-warrior Cassie. Look, momentum, right? Jump, tap, right? One move, jump, tap. I know how to do it, Dad. Oh, do you? Yes! Really? Because it didn't look like it from my end. I messed up on the timing. Jump! Ah. Through a scientific cock-up, the source of most plots in the MCU, everyone suddenly whizzes through a hole in time and space into the quantum realm. I know you don't want to know this either, but the quantum realm is the sort of the opposite of Marvel's other unwanted bright idea, the multiverse. Have I killed you before? <laughs> what? They all blur together after a while. You're not the one with the hammer. That's Thor. We get confused a lot. Similar body types. Now, the multiverse is a stack of more universes than you can possibly know what to do with, while quantum involves shrinking to the smallest size imaginable. This allows Disney's digital effects people to go nuts. 
In some cases, literally, I believe. Imagine every prog rock album cover blended with pizza with everything. You come from above. Like him. He will burn the world to find you. Who? The Conqueror. Belatedly, we should meet the villain of Quantum Mania, the aforementioned Kang the Conqueror. Kang is played by respected actor Jonathan Major, breaking new ground for villainy by being American. Generally, villains are played by British actors. Still, to be fair, he does adopt a British accent throughout. Let me make this easy for you. You will bring me what I need. Or everything you call a life. There are elements of all sorts of other movies, including several references to The Wizard of Oz as our heroes attempt to find the red shoes to get home with while keeping Kang the Conqueror safely stuck in the quantum realm. You want to tell the audience that no matter what happens to anyone, they'll be back if Kevin Feige can squeeze another few million dollars from them. For the non-comics people, at least there's a pleasure of Michelle Pfeiffer's company, even if she's talking rubbish most of the time. So you've been studying the quantum realm. Mm-hmm. Why didn't you ask me about it? I tried, Mom. A lot. You never wanted to talk about it. Cassie's just been curious, and we, we gave her some pointers. This isn't exactly ant science, is it, Henry? I was a little surprised at the makeup of the audience for cross-cultural rom-com with a twist. What's love got to do with it? They were mostly women of a certain age, the King's Speech crowd, in other words. I know star Lily James has been popular ever since she was launched in Downton Abbey, though she's hardly a household name yet, unlike Emma Thompson, who's also in it. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Ah, alaykum salam, Auntie Aisha. <laughs> what? She still can't say it. Assalamu alaikum, Aisha. There you go. Oh, that's exactly what I just said. But the secret source of what's love got to do with it is writer Jemima Khan, or more important, who she knows, in particular her friendship with Princess Di. A highly successful journalist, Jemima's life changed when she married celebrity Pakistani cricketer Imran Khan and became fascinated with how Muslim families handle love and marriage. I'm getting married. You are? Who's the lucky lady? Don't know yet. What do you mean? I'm getting an arranged marriage. Well, assisted marriage. That's what we're calling it these days. Dare I ask, what about love? You grow to love the person you're with. What, like Stockholm Syndrome? (laughs) Which is what What's Love Got To Do With It is all about. Zoe, Lily James, is a struggling documentary maker. The struggle, as always, being how to get a good idea past the idiots who run TV's documentary departments. But the experience of her best friend Kazim may just be ratings gold. Kaz is sick of the Western dating game and is going the way of his parents. Assisted marriage. So, your ideas for your next film... I could follow my childhood friend to marry a stranger chosen by his parents. My big fat arranged wedding. (laughs) Meet the parents first. (laughs) Love contractually. Huh. 
Kaz is a catch, a successful doctor. His family's lived next door to Zoe's since childhood. If anyone can offer a sympathetic view of his journey, it's his old buddy. So, first stop, Mo the Matchmaker. OK, so guys, tell me, what kind of lovely lady are we looking for today? Someone intelligent and attractive and who I click with, I suppose. He needs a companion, not a click. OK, and a beard or no beard? What? Uh, wrong list, sorry, give it that back. Mo is an amusing bit by comedian Asim Chowdhury and generally director Shekhar Kapoor keeps the comedy tone positive. Now, while comedy's hardly his strong suit, he's better known for historic dramas with Kate Blanchett. He knows this film will only work if we sympathise with both sides. What's your education, bro? He's a doctor. Oof, no, this is the top of the food chain. And any vices I should know about? Drinking, smoking, dogging... No dogs, no pets. Now let's face it, arranged marriages haven't had a good rap in movies. At the first sign of parents pushing their offspring to marry millionaires, a smart audience will scan the horizon for poor but glamorous alternatives. Of course, Jemima Khan knows of what she writes. Her experience marrying Imran Khan for love was hardly a triumph. Got news? I got engaged. Wait, what? Very like her. Hi. Hi. Love at first Skype. <laughs> How do you feel about possibly moving to London? She's fine with it. It's a very multicultural place. <laughs> but she was also on hand for the most famous arranged marriage in recent history, the then Prince Charles and his first wife, Diana Spencer. What's love got to do with it even makes that point unnecessarily when a prospective groom says, love whatever that means. I wonder if that was the result of a forced marriage between Jemima Khan and some tone-deaf hack. <laughs> the wedding's in Pakistan. You're so fully signed up to this. You're forgetting I've seen it work. Maybe you should focus on your own choices. You actively search out anyone who is wrong. I was most interested in how this film was going to juggle traditional Muslim values of family first with 120 years of traditional Hollywood values of love conquers all. It succeeds well enough, though, mainly because of the real-life friendship between stars Lily James and Shazad Latif. No-one can get close to you. Am I just half a person when I'm not with a man? Is that what you think? And just like that... Actually, the highlight for me was when they go sightseeing in Lahore by night and run into some Sufi musicians, led by a man who sounds uncannily like the only Pakistani musician I know, the late singer Nusrat Fatih Ali Khan. Singing to God. Singing about dangerous love. Keeps him awake at night. In fact, he's Rahat Fatih Ali Khan, Nusrat's nephew, and proof that in feel-good movies like What's Love Got To Do With It, terrible title, by the way, there's something for everyone. And on that typically inclusive conclusion, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. 
That's BotoxCosmetic.com. <laughs> 